we are in unprecedented times. That's a really frustrating thing as a landowner when I'm just trying to do the right thing, but I can't figure out what that is because of the way these rules are written. They need to remain viable and they need access to water. This is the Green Report. For more than 40 years, Hotchkiss Insurance Agency has been protecting clients in a world of unknowns, helping them grow and succeed. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency celebrates with clients when they reach their goals of expanding to a new location, reaching a financial milestone, or serving a record number of customers. Because that's what Hotchkiss Insurance Agency is here for. Visit them at HIALLC.com and speak with one of their insurance agents to see what they can do to help grow your business. Hey guys, it's Ryan Skrbarczyk, Director of Legislative and Regulatory Affairs for the Texas Nursery and Landscape Association, and I want to welcome you back to the TNLA Green Report. We're excited to launch Season 2 of the podcast, and we've got a lot of fun things in store, including the fact that we're available in video now. So while you could find us on Google, Apple, and on the TNLA website, be sure to look for us on YouTube as well. Season two is going to have a lot of fun and interesting stuff going on. Obviously, the legislative uh, session is getting ready to kick off in January. So we're going to be uh, featuring hopefully some episodes from the building right behind me. Look forward to that. This episode that we're going to be starting season two with includes two very dear friends to TNLA, Dr. Marco Palma and Dr. Charlie Hall from Texas A&M University. And we're gonna be diving into their economic contributions report and talking about the impact that the green industry has on the economy of Texas. It's useful information for our members and business owners, but it's also very useful information for policymakers. I hope you enjoy, be sure to subscribe, give us five stars so we can continue to bring you this awesome information in this great way. Thanks and enjoy. Hey folks, and welcome back to the TNLA Green Report. Uh, I am very excited about this episode. We've got two very special guests. Dr. Marco Palma is a professor at Texas A&M University in the Department of Ag Economics. Marco, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thank you, Ryan. Absolutely. And we've got Dr. Charlie Hall, who is also a professor at A&M. He's with the Department of Horticultural Sciences and is the Ellison Chair in International Floriculture. Dr. Hall, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be here. Well, thank you both for joining. I'm, I'm going to assume that most of our members are going to know what this, is, this show is going to be about because you two gentlemen um, produce a great resource for us. And I know that uh, in years prior, whether it's traveling to region meetings or putting on webinars, we have reviewed a lot of this data. But what the today's show about is going to be about is the most recent iteration of the economic impact report. Um, and that I hope is a labor of love for y'all because it's a very useful resource <laughs> for me and I know for the staff and we hope obviously for our members that would y'all kind of explain what that um, report is and and kind of just the big picture there. You want me to jump in Marco? Sure. And I'll follow. If you know, I, I joined Texas A&M back in 1988 and the scope report was actually ongoing but it was in a much smaller uh, format and not as much data was collected. So there's, there's um, obviously data that's, that's provided by the state comptroller's office, 
and uh, because they collect all the sales data so they can collect all the sales tax, right? So uh, for the most part, most uh, businesses within the, the state, they report those sales, but there's obviously some non-compliance. Uh, folks, uh, particularly in the service sector, don't necessarily know that they need to report sales. And then uh, there's some folks that are misclassified. For example, if you go right now and you pull the comptroller's list for, uh, let's just say growers, right? And um, the, for that North American Industrial Classification Code, well, you're gonna find some plumbers, you're gonna find some, some businesses that really shouldn't be in there. So fortunately, that's, that's the exception to the rule. But this particular study um, has been conducted by the association for decades. And uh, sometimes it's a best kept secret because even today there's folks that don't necessarily know about this particular report. That's right. But as you well know, Ryan, in today's political environment, you've got to talk jobs and you've got to talk about economic impact. And so this particular report has really saved our skin in the past in terms of combating negative legislation. I remember um, some, some potential legislation regarding Edwards Aquifer in the San Antonio region. And um, that was back in the nineties, I think. And I put together a quick report on the five counties uh, in the San Antonio MSA and, and said, you know what, this is what's going to be the impact if you, shut down all watering to landscapes yeah. well guess what they didn't pass that particular regulation yeah. so you know that that this is liquid gold as they would say yeah absolutely well i yeah. think you want you want some kind of uh estimate of your size and scope right you've yeah. got it we've got to know how big we are and how, what our impact is so we, you know we used to just report the sales by sector mm -hmm. but um when, back when I left for Tennessee and Marco uh, took this, he actually made it even better and started. Hey, there you go. There's a compliment, Marco. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything that I used to do, Marco was made better. Are you kidding? Uh, <laughs> and um, too kind. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so he's added uh, the economic impacts to, or the, the contributions, there's a difference between economic impacts and economic contributions, but mm -hmm. we won't get into that. That's, we, uh, we economists argue about that all the time, but sure. he added those. And so now it's not just the sales, it's the true economic contributions that our industry adds to the, the state economy. Well, so well, that's, Mark, that's pretty important. Marco, why'd you do that? Tell us about it. I mean, what the significance and the difference there? So I came here uh, in 2006 and um, Charlie had left to the University of Tennessee for a couple of years. And the first thing that I talked to him when I met him was about this report actually. Um, and, uh, and I asked him, you know, any, any, any help and guidance. And he was very, very open. And he actually shared all of the efforts that he had done in the past. And then we visited about ways uh, that we could try to, uh, to do something that, that would be very constant, that we'll have every year. So we have an idea of not necessarily just what happened at one point in time, every five years or so, but also to get an idea of how the industry is changing and evolving and that will really be helpful. And uh, at that point, I think Don Wilkerson was really another person that really helped us to brainstorm and think about ways in which we can really uh, support the, 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 the nursery and. And landscape industry, in particular TNLA, that have been 
very um, collaborative with, with us. And so this is where the idea of, 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 of trying to do these economic impact series, which Charlie and Alan Hodges and others have been doing at the national, uh, John Haydu and others were doing at the national scale. So the idea was, if we have this information at the national scale, but only every five years, maybe we should be a little bit more proactive and, and try to do that for the state of Texas so that we have that information available. And that serves the purpose that, 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 that Charlie was talking about, making sure that we know and we actually communicate to legislators and other public policymakers about the importance of the industry mm -hmm. and some of the potential impacts that might change if something is done to compromise or, or to affect the industry in some way or, or another. Yeah. Another refinement, Ryan, that we've made over time is that we've moved from SIC codes to the, the North American Industrial Classification Codes after NAFTA was passed because mm -hmm. the, the NAICS codes, as we call them, that was actually a part of NAFTA back in the early 90s, uh, the reason why we developed that. And we only used to include the SIC codes that were directly attributable to this industry. Well, today we, we include um, general merchandising stores, i.e. Walmart, right. and, but we don't include all their sales, obviously, but there is obviously some substantial lawn and garden sales that occur at Walmart. Mm -hmm. So through the years, we've been able to figure out which portion of their sales are tied to lawn and garden, and we include that in the analysis as well. When you're trying to spread that, the, the, or I guess, cast your net and encapsulate everybody that's involved in this industry. I know it's difficult. You mentioned the slippage, I guess, is what you refer to it in the report as the folks who may not be reporting their numbers. Um, yeah. And Marco is going to put up some slides for us, which is awesome. We can reference right from the most recent report. But um, yeah, it's a difficult job because there's so many aspects and facets to our industry. Uh, and, and that's the, the more accurate picture we have the better we can make our arguments. So yeah. let's, uh, let's talk about the state though, or I guess what was the current state of uh, the green industry in Texas? We have the 2020 report, which I, we should point out, right, is based off of uh, pre-pandemic numbers. So these are, these are the 2019 numbers, the most recent that have been reported out, but we don't wanna give anybody the false impression that we're, we're talking about the reality under COVID, right? <laughs> That, that's true because we're this report is always a hindsight report mm -hmm. right we're looking back and in fact when we report the results from 2019 the data that we originally reported for 18 and 17 have been updated so the comptroller's office adjusts those sales uh coming up to today's time but unfortunately i wish we could get real-time sales uh for texas I've done a little bit on the in terms of the Eagle program and the benchmarking mm -hmm. I do with it. And so I've got 2020 sales, but it's really difficult at the state level to get that data because it's just not available until you know, the year's over. And so maybe we ought to get the controller behind. We ought to get the controller some more funding. Maybe he can uh, move up his statistical analysis and reporting out to the, everybody. But, but, you know, even so, I mean, it's not their fault because yeah. they're just reporting the data as it comes in each quarter. So you got to wait till the year's over to collect data from the fourth quarter in the first quarter of the next year. So that's how that works. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Marco, kind of walk us through what's in this, what's in this latest report. 
Sure. And I think that that's an important point that Charlie was making in terms of seeing some adjustments. And I think that we got a few questions for last year's report about the numbers fluctuating a little bit. And so I want to emphasize that the controller's office revises these numbers for the last three years. So for the, you know, after three years, then the numbers actually, after doing considerable revisions and everything else, then they become final. And so it is possible that you would see some fluctuations uh, for the past uh, three years. And um, these numbers represent sales through December of 2019. We might be actually getting a little bit closer to getting data from the first quarter of 2020, which would be, you know, not necessarily exactly what, what COVID is going through, but at least the anticipation of COVID. Remember, we didn't really start doing any major lockdowns until March of that year. So even if we get those sales numbers, that doesn't necessarily will give us a lot of information about the during COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah. I, I think that if you look at some of the potential drivers of consumption and behavior related to the green industry, and, and Charlie actually might talk a little bit about, about this. He does a lot of outlooks and looking at what, what's, what happens. Um, a lot of discretionary spending uh, for people went into things that they were not necessarily very used to, to do. And so you might remember things uh, going a little bit crazy when it came to toilet paper and then bicycles <laughs> and then pets. Yeah. And people were looking for alternatives to, to keep engaged and be doing something. Right. And as, as challenging as unemployment was and all the overall economic situation was devastating, there was still a proportion of the population who remained economically active and, and, and tried to adapt and purchase this different um, type of products. And so some of them, some of that included some remodeling, some activities at home. And so it's really difficult to tell at this point, what is the net effect of, of the, um, the, the potential reduction in some of retailer sales by the group of people who had a significant reduction in income and the associated on, and, the, and the contrasting increase in spending of, of other proportion of the population. So that remains to be seen, I think, but those are some of the key, thing to, key things to, to see in terms of the big picture of what's going on before we, we take this um, bird's eye view about the industry and some of the potential things to know and to consider as we move along into the 2020 uh, year. Absolutely. So in looking at the report, you can see um, the total for all sectors was pretty close to $20 billion in sales. Um, the production and manufacturing sector, it was almost close to uh, 1.9, almost $2 billion uh, in, in sales. Um, you can see there, we can divide into different type of, of sectors. The horticultural services sector was 5.7 in sales, and then the wholesalers, as Charlie was saying, we have divided those uh, different uh, North American industry classification codes into different sectors and relate those to what is the actual proportion that is estimated to be part of the of the green industry. Yeah, this is one of my favorite. Uh, that was one of my favorite charts, actually, because uh, it shows you the entire picture. And it's on page four of the report for anybody who goes to our website to look it up. Um, and it, uh, but it breaks down all of the various sectors underneath kind of your headline. You know, you've got production and manufacturing, horticultural services, which has got landscaping and architectural services underneath that, and then wholesale retail. 
it's important though, this is total sales, right? So that's, that's not, that's going to reflect uh, any carry through from the production and manufacturing under that retail uh, header, right? That's exactly right, Ryan. And, and we will probably get to this in a few minutes, but the point you're making here is that the products uh, w within the production and manufacturing are the ones sold the retail. And so in that way, it just includes sales. So when we estimate the economic impacts, we have to account for what is the industry really producing? And so suppose that you have a plant that was sold a retail for $50, but the plant was sold from the production and manufacturing sector at $20. And so that plant, if you account for the $20 in the production and manufacturing sectors, and you account for the $50 retail, you will be saying, hey, there's $70 of sales. Uh, in reality, you want to be able to take the net effects in the retail sector to say, hey, there were $20 that the plant was sold in production and uh, the rest of it belongs to the retail, which is like the, the net margin. And that's an important differentiation that we try to make. Otherwise, we'll be double counting $20 in both sectors. We want to make sure that we don't do that when we estimate the economic impacts. So that's a great point. And you've got, you also had 133, a little over 133,000 establishments, yes. um, individual businesses. And I, that may be lost on some of the people who are uh, busy running a business day to day of how uh, many of them there are out there, how many peers you have in our industry. It truly is uh, kind of mind boggling to look at and think about just the scope of our industry in the state of Texas. Uh, there's a lot of us. You know what's even more mind-boggling, Ryan? What's that? They aren't all TNLA members. <laughs> I know, absolutely, and we got to get them. We got to get them because this is where this is where. Well, and that was perfect. Driving to my point there is that uh, all of us combined, one hundred thirty-three thousand voices together, would have a tremendous impact. And a lot of times, that you know, our industry is focused on the day-to-day -day and running a successful business and speak out when they're going to be negatively impacted. But there's a lot uh, that those voices marshaled together could do to advance our industry. 133,000 businesses uh, made up of employers and employees. I mean, that's we're, we're talking about a lot of human capital there. Absolutely. I mean, one small point to make here is that the universe of firms available out there, some of them like for example, food and beverage stores that sell some green industry products. It might not necessarily be, you know, jumping around to the idea of I want to become a TNLA member. But if you look at the rest of the other categories, they're definitely involved in the green industry directly, whether it's flower and nurse, nursery stock, employee supplies, florists. Uh, some of those firms are, are something within the scope. Certainly everybody in the production and manufacturing and horticultural services. So the horticultural Cultural services have over 50,000 uh, establishment. That's, that's significant. Oh, huge. Yeah. That's the landscape, the landscape area. Uh, that would, that's a, there's probably not too many people that would realize that we could put an exact number to that. They just think that there's so many, I see so many just driving down I 35 on the way to work every morning. Uh, our trucks are all over the place and you would forget you would, you would, it's hard to contemplate F over 50,000 establishments in just that's one sector of our industry. Yeah. Well, you know, a number of those took a hit during the great recession because landscaping is, is less uh, capital intensive to get in and out of than some other sectors. You know, you don't have to build a million square feet of greenhouse and so yeah. forth. 
you don't want to build 40,000 retail four square foot retail space. So there's, there's a lot of folks that enter and then exit. In fact, we have 12% more landscapers today than we did prior to the great recession, but we're still down. Um, uh, that's not Texas numbers. That's national numbers. We're still down uh, about 16% in terms of growers and about 3% in terms of retail. So, you know, the landscape sector has been doing well. Can fluctuate. Well, and I think you even make a, uh, in the background information on the report, y'all talk about how we have been growing. It's been years of consistent growth, but not explosive growth. And so it's been, it's been, it tracks kind of with what the expected growth, I guess, of the total uh, GDP. And so, um, yeah, the rate of real growth of GDP was 2.3%. So, I mean, you know, the, the, but that's healthy. Those are healthy numbers. Marco, you had, a, you had a, a slide up that was talking about where it tracks uh, from 2013. Um, and I think that's important to talk about right there. Yeah, the total sales, because as y'all pointed out, we didn't want just a snapshot of one year's numbers. It's only helpful if we can demonstrate trajectory uh, and and make some make some helpful and important assumptions from the from those trajectories. So what what does that tell us from just looking at 2013's numbers until now? So I think that what's important here you can you can look at these numbers and we actually just to uh, just to be completely uh, uh, open here we have these numbers going back even longer than that. Uh, we try to keep the scope of the of the years reported um, very consistent, but that doesn't mean that we don't have the data. And so if, if TNLA or members or somebody wants to go back um, even, even further, we can go back up until 20, 2007. And even before that, we were able to track those numbers pretty consistently, probably to the early 2000s. Uh, and so we can get a, a great picture of what's happening. Uh, if you look at this, the industry, look at the sales numbers in the 70s and 80s. The industry was experiencing double-digit growth. It was a tremendous period of booming. You can also see the number of firms coming into the industry that was exploding. People realized there were money to be made in the industry, and a lot of people came and, and started to, uh, to, to create businesses within the, uh, the green industry. And um, as you can see in these latest numbers, you, you can see a little bit more of fluctuation in the grower sales numbers. Uh, if we go back to the Great Recession, you will see that the industry actually took a big hit. Uh, those numbers are not here, but again, we have, we have them available in case somebody's interested. And then we, we can see here, um, 2013 was uh, a year in which we saw a peak in the grower side. And then, there was a deep in, in 2014 that took several years to get through. So typically we would say that we recovered from that um, reduction in 2014 around 2017 as we passed through that previous peak of, of grower sales. And then the industry started to very uh, steadily go up. So we see that, that, that reduction there, but then you can see there's an overall increasing trend and you can see that graphically uh, here, uh, where you can go back to, to some of those numbers post uh, uh, the Great Recession, and you can see the dip here. Big part of that, this is what we have in the report, is you break it down. Some of that was actually coming from loan, loan equipment manufacturing um, that, that was reduced in that particular year. And you can see that it started to go up again a little bit 
but we passed through those levels in 2017. These sales numbers have been a little bit more stable for the horticultural services or the landscaping sector. You can see here that even the, the 2013 was not really something that was a deep in, in the sales numbers. It was probably very similar to the previous year, but the, but the, but the horticultural services industry is steadily growing. Um, and then you can see for retailing sales, they, they also have an increasing trend. Uh, probably the scale here is a little bit of an issue because we're talking about 10 to uh, uh, almost 14 billion in sales. So those, even though they're 2%, 1-2%, that's a very significant increase in terms of the amount of sales. Uh, this graph probably represents a little bit of that growth in a more graphical way that it's easier to see. You can see that overall those, those areas are becoming larger for all the sectors and, and overall for, for the industry. So starting in that, starting at that 2010 number on those graphs, I mean, the, the takeaway there is it's continued to grow. I mean, we're, we may not be seeing the explosive growth like you talked about in the 80s, but we are seeing an upward trend line where all sectors are growing, some faster than others. Uh, the wholesale and retail uh, looks to be tracking upward quite uh, aggressively, followed there by the landscaping side. But on the, on the um, production and manufacturing, even that sector is growing. So... It's a, it, it seems to be positive news. You know, again, we're talking about the most recent numbers from 2019, but 11 years of growth for the overall economy, uh, it seems to have uh, tracked quite well for our industry as well. One of the things to note here, Ryan, is in addition to just the sheer numbers and how we can communicate about the importance of the industry is the potential impacts of the management strategy that firms are going to have based on these numbers. So we're not able to track it here in our report, but uh, you know Charlie and I and and Hi Ryan and Alan Hodges uh, and, and several other colleagues, we we've been working on this national level green industry survey, in which we track sales on a on a on a on a survey base. So we actually get all the data by firms, and if you look at that, it's remarkable to see that the majority of firms within the industry, when you talk about growing, for example are relatively small firms. Uh, we're talking about, you know, it's, it's fluctuated through the surveys, but anywhere between 50 to 66% of the number of firms sell uh, $250,000 or less. And, and yet when you put them all together, they only represent a very small fraction, two to 3% of the overall number of sales. So what that tells you, and on the other hand, we have very number, a very small number of firms you know, we're talking about 1% or less that sell $50 million or more, but they comprise about a third of the, of the sales. And so these reports are also important because it gives you, they give you an idea of, depending on where you are on that scale, that really will shape the way in which you want to market and manage your firm, depending on how, if you live in an over-competitive market, uh, you might want to emphasize different features, differentiate your products. And I think that Charlie has been a, a tremendous resource and advocate for trying to make sure that, that we all understand that, that, that we cannot have a one-size-fits-all policy of a management strategy and a marketing strategy that would be helpful for everybody. And it really depends on where you are on that spectrum, what will tell you what would be the most successful management strategy and marketing strategy. Well, and I will say just for my job here at the association in the legislative and regulatory realm, 
what this demonstrates to me right here is things are tracking well, so don't mess that up. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's what we're going to communicate to policymakers is uh, generally politicians like uh, jobs coming to Texas. They like growth of businesses. They like people being employed and they like people in their communities being able to sustain a living. And uh, we don't need to mess that up. So, you know, let's avoid any uh, negative regulations. Let's avoid any uh, what could be seen as harmful legislation. And let's make sure that this trajectory, which is a healthy one, can continue because it means that, you know, our industry is being successful. Yes, but these communities that these companies are involved in are going to be successful as well. Yeah. And, and you use the key word there. You, you used it as, a, as an adjective, healthy, but um, to describe the rate of growth. But what's interesting, Ryan, is that we're in a health crisis and our industry is part of the answer there. If we could get people outside more, mm -hmm. improve landscapes, uh, you know, cortisol levels are reduced, stress, uh, it's a stress busting uh, industry that we offer. And so uh, I think it's important to emphasize to the legislature that, you know, we're not just providing beauty for the environment, but we're providing a, a tremendous amount of ecosystem services yeah. and health and well-being benefits. And of course, I have, I just happen to have all those documented on my website. <laughs> of course you do, as you should. Well, and, and I would, I'm going to be fascinated to see next year's numbers uh, in detail, but I would take a guess that our industry has been a strong component of why consumers have stayed active during the pandemic. Uh, for all the things that you've mentioned. Luckily, we've continued to grow and, and have been able to be there um, for the consumer, but uh, folks who are having to work from home or were under a shutdown, uh, they're looking out at their backyard and they're going, oof, man, that needs some help. And whether that's going to a retail location or you're gonna call your neighborhood contractor, hopefully a TNLA certified contractor, and you're gonna get them out there in your backyard and get some things done, you're improving your life, your home, your family life, and your work environment, which is you know, where, you, where you're sitting at home probably remotely. So I think we've been a big part of that and we, it puts money back into the economy where otherwise people may have shut down um, and, and held on to those dollars. Good point. Marco, what are we looking at here? So we're t this is total green industry sales by MSA, which I think is an important, and I wanna, I wanna emphasize this because again, um, if we're staying in the legislative and regulatory realm, all politics is local. Every politician wants to know, okay, I, I like your numbers, but what are you doing in my district? What are you doing in my area of Texas? So the, the report, uh, whether you're a business owner looking at, you know, kind of your surrounding area or the competition, or for the association, we're communicating regional importance. The total green industry sales by MSA uh, is gonna be critically important. Um, and it probably tells us for those people who've looked at this report, these are familiar, these are familiar MSAs and kind of their relative size to one another. But um, talk a little bit about this, if you wouldn't mind. Yes, absolutely. So that's, that's the, the idea behind these numbers is to make sure that we track those for some of the major statistical uh, metropolitan areas. But in addition to those, we also track these by county. And so we have sales numbers by sector for every county. In fact, we do these maps in which we have the sales broken down by uh, grower, landscaping, retailing, and total sales. 
uh, by county. And so these maps show, and they're pretty closely related to population areas, uh, at least for the landscaping and some of the others, obviously. Um, but that, that provides a lot of support. And I'm not sure how many people know that those numbers and estimates exist and that we are collecting those county level data, at least until dating back probably about 10 years ago. So we are able to track how they're changing and, and, and provide that source of information. And I think that's something that we have in the report every year, that it takes a, a significant amount of effort to, to actually get those sales numbers and to create those maps that track all those, those sales. And, uh, and so if you're interested, if somebody's interested, I think that this is a great resource to see how everything is happening at the local level for the industry. Well, and you've got so I, I didn't include those maps here in the presentation, but they are available in the report and you can see them by, by that county level. Dr. Hall brought it up earlier and that's a, it's a point that is well made that when San Antonio or that region considered uh, watering restriction regulation, being able to pull that data just by the, the the county and the surrounding counties is critically important. And your the report actually breaks it out um, in a in a map form. You can kind of see the density of sales based off each sector: landscaping, retail, and grower. Um, but having the county by county total sales data is is going to be critically important for the legislative session as well. Um, I can tell you, I'm, I'm looking at, at the list here, and there's a few counties that their legislator probably needs to be made aware of, yeah. of the number of sales, of the amount of sales that goes on in their area, the contributions that can be uh, extrapolated from that, from, from our companies and them doing business in that area. It's important. We've got nearly every county listed. I mean, we've got, we've got numbers for almost nearly every county in the report, yeah. and so it's comprehensive. We're all over the state. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing about that, Ryan, is that if you look at the, the, the most urban areas, uh, you, one might assume that they represent the uh, majority of sales, which they do, but it's 60%. The other rural areas across the state represent 40% of sales. So our industry is one that's still broad-based it's not only occurring in the metropolitan areas, but it's occurring outside of those areas as well. Well, I think we have a unique advantage as the nursery and landscape industry, uh, where we cross sectors that some of our friends in agriculture don't, and other industries where they depend on de population densities uh, don't. We, we, we kind of catch all, to your point, $8.98 billion outside of the five major MSAs in Texas, yeah. almost not, almost nine billion dollars. I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, and what that's just that's just sales. So I mean, if you if you included in there number of businesses and employees and the pay and everything that they, I mean, everything that you um, that you put together when you're talking about output, that's that's tremendous. It really is. Yeah. And I think that our members, you know, one of the things that we're looking at. Um, from a political trend line in the state of Texas is that sometimes the legislature won't do something that a city council is willing to do. And that may have an impact on an employer. Um, we've seen that recently in our sector with uh, employment mandates, as far as how you can, how, what benefits you have to ascribe. There's, there's even talk about, you know, scheduling requirements at a city level, which would, which is a compliance nightmare in and of itself. But if you're an employer, and you're in that area and you're wanting to speak 
to the importance of your industry to your local city council in that, in that case, we've got it broken down by the county number. Take those numbers. Be, make, I mean, you have to demonstrate that the, that the impact is going to be larger than just your one business, and we've got that resource for you here. So um, I just, I can't, I can't uh, oversell how important the uh, information is in here. It just takes a little bit to, to break it down and see what could be most useful for your business. So, Dr. Hall, do you want to explain the difference between just sales and uh, economic contributions and, and talk a little bit about those numbers? Sure. In fact, um, it's, it is important to know the difference. And, and so when we talk about sales, that's but one type of direct economic impact, right? We know in the sales of the industry and we know that um, when a business... Um, spends money in the economy. It represents about a four to one multiplier, but when a consumer spends money, it's about a two to one uh, multiplier. But uh, so we have three different types of impacts when we talk about economic impacts, economic contributions, and that's direct sales, right? Or direct impacts. And then we have what's called indirect impacts that are ancillary services that are provided that you know, to grow plants, you got to truck them. Somebody's got to bank uh, the the industry, right? So all these ancillary services are accounted for in this number. And then lastly, you have induced effects where when you pay payroll, you, those employees go in and in turn spend that money. And so all of that pie in terms of the direct sales, the direct outputs, uh, the indirect uh, from ancillary services provided, and then the induced effects from from our employees spending money in the economy. All that's captured within this this modeling um, program called Implant. So this is this is very important because uh, to just look at the direct output of uh, of an industry is is very limiting in scope because again of all the the other people who are involved in our industry besides growers, retailers, and landscape service providers. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the, or I guess the graph we're looking at visually, and you can find in our report here, documents the output of all sectors at the very end and the, yeah. the number employment and the value add, which uh, yeah. we'll talk about well, value add. Is that the, the, the output number you see here is the combination of those direct, indirect, and, and induced effects. And then the employment uh, numbers are how many folks we actually employ. And then the value added dollars is if you, if you account for all the, the value that's added to, you know, you look at it, the supply chain from a, from a sequential perspective, from all the allied trade inputs that we purchase and transform those into plants and transform those into services and sales at the retail level, we're adding value through that supply chain. So that's, that's what you're, you're basically looking at, $15 billion, almost $16 billion worth of, of impacts, if I'm reading that, yep, almost $16 billion that, um, of value added that's added through our industry. So that, that's a that's a neat number to be able to look at and say, you know, we're not a net zero industry. We're adding value all through our supply chain. Absolutely. Well, so the top line numbers from the most recent report, total total economic output, 27.8 billion. 
uh, employment and jobs, 260, over 260,000. And then yeah. you just went through the value added of, of almost 16 billion. Yeah. Um, I mean, truly an, an industry that has a, a, a big economic impact. You know, Marco, I'm, I'm curious if you have any uh, perspective on where our industry lands in comparison to other ag sectors. I know that I know that we kind of we branch out beyond uh, just growing, and we've got a lot of other services that the green industry provides. But where we are in perspective of some other industries that y'all work on, we we have not really done these uh, in a while. But I think that if we go back, maybe it's it's third or fourth in terms of different sectors, and it really it really depends on what you uh, define as a sector. So obviously, you know, livestock, if you include everything together there, that's a, that's a big industry. If you separate it by saying this is beef versus dairy versus, uh, uh, you know, a swine production versus something else, chicken uh, or poultry, then you start to divide them. So it really depends on how you aggregate some of these other industries. Um, but, but, but it's certainly something that is, is a very important and vibrant sector of the Texas economy and it's it's right up there you know with with some of the other big producers uh in the agricultural sector uh livestock obviously is one of the big ones cotton and some of the other extensive crops are are very important for for the industry uh, as well and so yeah. that's that's, that's really the only two marco that have been historically ahead of horticulture now they 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 lump horticulture the the green industry with the produce industry and and the nut crop industry, the pecan industry, and so they they lump all that together into horticulture, and so you do all that lumping, just like the livestock sectors are all lumped into a livestock sector, right. and so it's been livestock, cotton, and horticulture. One, yeah. two, three. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and and a big impact. So it looks like the output from this most recent report to the one just prior went up uh, significantly. Like I said, with the output had in this report at 27.8 billion. Care to speculate on what the the growth, uh, it seemed, it, I mean, the margin is different. Uh, I looked at the total sales from last year's report to this year's. Last year's had us at 19.5 billion in total sales. And then of course this year's, we just went through, we were at 22.4 billion. The output from the prior report was, uh, I don't know, have the exact figure in front of me, but it was, uh, it, the margin is much bigger. And we had, I mean, I like the output number this year. If I'm going to be frank, I like, I mean, bigger, bigger is better for me. So I like 27.8 billion, but any, any speculation as to the growth there beyond total sales? Uh, I, I'm, let me start. I think this is, so the relationship between these input output models is really looking at the macro level of the economy. And so it goes from all the possible industries and how they interact with each other. Given the current situation that we've seen, I probably speculate there would be some changes in terms of the interaction. I don't know how that would change. I would probably think that the green industry is actually one where you can see that the impacts of COVID-19 were actually not as big as others. Um, and so I, I anticipate to see the, those those adjustments to be very similar to what we've seen in the past uh, in terms of the economic impact. But but remember, this is a kind of like a relationship between a lot of matrices that are interacting from different sectors and how they interact. So whenever you look at the green industry, you look at the big uh, inputs that we use, uh, energy. Um, uh, 
which is a pretty important one. Some of the other for, for, for fertilizers, fertilizers, for example, nitrogen cost. I haven't really seen a lot of changes in those inputs uh, in terms of the use for the prices. Uh, I haven't seen any levels of scarcity that indicates that we're going to see a very drastic change that is going to completely, you know, revolutionize or change what we've seen. So I think we're probably going to end up with, with levels that might be certain similar to what we've seen over the past decade, but there will definitely be some adjustments. I know that's very little information. I probably haven't uh, <laughs> okay. said much. But <laughs> hey, absolutely. Dr. Hall, what about you? Well, I, I calculate, um, of course, of an index of prices paid by growers each year. And from uh, year over year, 2018 over 2017, we had um, a 3.4% increase in the cost of inputs. And, and that'd be containers and fertilizer and media and so forth. And labor and transportation, trucking. And from 2019 over 2018, there's a two and a half percent increase year over year. And the transportation trucking industry right now, uh, I've been reporting a shortage of drivers, but that's been exacerbated with COVID and just the significant volume increase in terms of online sales. So we're gonna see uh, some difficulty in finding drivers. We're gonna see trucking costs increase. And I would, I would anticipate um, I, I've been hearing that certain inputs uh, that are usually imported, that there's, uh, because of the tariffs, that there's going to be some inf influence there. And uh, so I would anticipate another 25 to 3% increase in the cost of those inputs, the 21 over 2020, uh, or at least 20 over uh, 2019. We'll see how 21 plays out. So the bottom line, Ryan, is that growers need to be thinking right now in terms of increasing prices, finding um, a way to increase price. And with this uh, the demand that we've seen, it's a, good, uh, it's a good time to do that. Otherwise, if you have input prices that, have, that for the last couple of years have it risen 2.5% and then 3.5% and you don't adjust that price, Guess what? Guess what gets squeezed out of the middle there? Profit. Your money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's say your money. <laughs> yeah. What goes into your bank account? Yeah, yeah, the thing that allows you to continue to do what you do. Well, it's a. It's we waited till the very end to get to labor, which is you know one of my favorite topics. Been and we could have a whole podcast dedicated to labor as a constraint on our economic growth. I'm sure, and that's probably been one of the. And I will just say anecdotally, I'm hearing the same things you're hearing. The cost of of inputs has gone up and labor out, even outside of our industry. I mean, we compete with trucking um, from some of the same labor pool. Uh, that, that, that issue hasn't gone away. I mean, unemployment numbers being what they were, even in the height of that, I can say I was taking calls from members saying, I just, I can't find anybody to work. We didn't, we, I mean, we just can't, we can't get uh, employees. So labor is a is a big constraint i just sometimes i wonder what our economic growth could be if it wasn't um you know and that's that's a that's a fantasy world probably but uh but where we would be if if that one constraint was taken away and i know i mean everybody knows the price of lumber right now has gone up so if you were building boxes you're probably feeling that pain <laughs> if you're putting if you're upsizing trees into those and i you know i have a 
friend in the forestry association and I just, you know, I text him all the time, ask him what, what's going on. Can he do something? Can he knock those prices down? <laughs> Which is uh, not at all in his realm, but I mean, it's a it, supply chain wise. It's a fascinating time to be in the industry. Yeah. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> That's yeah. the way I would put it. The, you know, it's, it's the labor issue is both a supply issue in terms of availability and then a cost issue in terms of the cost of labor. Now, our industry has been notoriously on the low end of wages, mm -hmm. right? And um, with the exception of those who employ H-2A labor, and then H-2A labor is really the only set of labor. If you look at the, the, the subsets of labor, that, that's really increased in cost uh, as dramatically as it has. And of course, now that's probably going to be tied to a uh, cost of living index of some sort, probably not CPI, but I would imagine the PC, PCE index, which is the personal consumption expenditures index, whatever index is used, um, that's going to be tied to the cost of living for H2A labor, uh, more than likely. I, I don't know if those final regs have been written, but uh, your point is well made. Uh, this labor issue is not going away, um, but we will more than likely end up paying some higher wages in order to capture our fair share. That's usually, it's just supply and demand. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you so much. It's always uh, a pleasure to talk to people who know so much and I can obtain so much. For, we could we could probably go on for hours, except y'all are incredibly busy people. So I just want to thank you for your time and the time that you spend with our members. Uh, we're, we're incredibly grateful. And for this wonderful resource, you can find on uh, tnlaonline.org. And uh, thank you for what y'all do and will continue to do for our industry. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen, have a wonderful day. All right. Take See care. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency seeks to protect that which is possible in everything they do. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency believes that by safeguarding one's most valuable assets, people and businesses are better able to grow and prosper. Hotchkiss Insurance Agency is proud to be an endorsed service provider for TNLA and looks forward to the opportunity to serve your company. Visit them at HIALLC.com today.